Amen. Good morning, Relentless Church. Well, wow, that was strong. That was strong. Y'all are great. My name is Raph. For those I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, I am excited to be here with you all today. Thank you for choosing to worship with us today. Um, we are in week three of a six-week series on the book of Galatians where we are looking at uh, a different chapter each week. So we started chapter one, chapter two. That was last week. Uh, I'm going to dig into chapter three today. Um, I know about you all. When I read when I read scripture, I try to um, I try to like visualize it, like kind of let the almost like a movie reel playing in my head. It helps it come alive to me. And so as I've been digging into Galatians, uh, for me it reads like a, almost like a courtroom drama, right? Like one of my favorite movies of all time is A Few Good Men. Has everyone anyone ever seen A Few Good Men? Y'all like that movie? Got a couple fans? Okay, good. I told First Service if no one's seen that movie, then I'd have to scrap this whole thing. Not gonna make much sense to anybody. But it, it is my favorite movie to the point where at one point, it's been a while, but I, I knew every single word in that movie. And uh, early on in, uh, in, in my relationship with my wife as we were dating, I forget the exact context of the conversation, but at some point we were joking around with each other and she looked at me and she said, you can't handle the truth. And I just immediately went into like my best Jack Nicholson, did the entire two-minute monologue like at the end of the movie. I would not break character. Like she's like, what is happening? I'm just like, we live in a world that have walls, son, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You, you, Lieutenant Weinberg, you weep for Santiago, you curse the Marines. You, she's like, who's Santiago? What are you talking about? <laughs> Amazing. Somehow she's still with me, <laughs> married 12 years. Right, but, but I just, I love a good courtroom drama. And that's how I read this, this scripture. The Apostle Paul, is, uh, he's addressing the church in Galatia. Just a quick recap from chapters one and two. Uh, because um, it consists of both Jewish and Gentile believers. And he's writing to address a problem within the church where certain Jewish leaders have been making it difficult for new Gentile believers to become followers of Jesus. They're adding on all these things that God never said, making them go jump through all these hoops that, that, that were not the truth of the gospel. And so in Galatians 1, Paul, it's kind of like his opening statement. And he, he, he comes out right out the gate, and he's like, there is no other gospel, no other gospel but the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to give his, his testimony, his personal testimony of transformation, right? We like to say around here at Relentless, transformation over transaction. The law is very transactional. It's you do X, Y, and Z, then you get these things, right? But, but God said, no, I'm about transformation. Paul says, let me tell you about my transformation. I was the Jew of Jews. I, I made it my personal mission to, to stamp out Christianity, okay, in the name of, of, of God. And so what Paul did was he used to hunt down Christians and, and arrest them and, and oftentimes have them put to, to death, okay? And then he met Jesus, and Jesus just wrecked him and completely humbled him and turned his entire life, transformed his entire life to the point where God said, now you're going to be my messenger to the Gentiles. So all the non-Jews out there, you're going to be the one charged with preaching the gospel to them. And so Paul lays out his testimony, right? And, and in that, we learn the gospel demands humility, right? It, Paul says, it's not my gospel, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Galatians chapter 2, he continues to give his credentials, okay? This is important because, again, there were Jews and Gentiles in the church. The Jewish uh, leaders, the Judaizers who were causing all this trouble, they were questioning Paul's standing. And they were questioning his leadership, right? He had planted that church, and they were questioning him as an apostle. And so he says, hey, I actually went up to Jerusalem with all your other apostles, the ones who, who were with Jesus, his disciples, right? John, 
Peter, James, I went there and compared notes with them and said, hey, I'm preaching this. Does that line up with the same gospel you're preaching? And they all signed off and said yes. And so he establishes his credentials with the Jews, which is important. But then he's also speaking to the Gentiles and establishing trust with them. And he says, hey, I'll tell you a story. Peter was down here with us in Antioch, and he was hanging out with, with all the Gentiles because the, do- the gospel demands unity. And we were one church, right? And that was, that was manifesting itself. And then all of a sudden, some guys came down from Jerusalem, some of the other Jewish leaders, and they showed up. And Peter stopped eating and hanging out with the Gentiles, and he only sat with the Jews. And so I had to confront him for, for that publicly, right? And what Paul was saying was because the gospel of Jesus had confronted prejudice in him and transformed that, make no mistake, it was racial ethnic prejudice that was going on there. And Paul says, God confronted that in me through the gospel. And because he did, I knew I had to confront Peter so that we can be unified because the gospel demands unity. That brings us to Galatians chapter three. This is Paul digging into the meat of his argument. If if we were to continue with the, uh, the courtroom drama metaphor, Paul has made his opening statement He's, he's, he's laid out the framework for his argument, and now he's, he's trying to uh, get the jury to start leaning in, okay? And, and, and he's about to start calling witnesses and cross, cross-examining his opponents and systematically making his case, all right? So Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. You foolish Galatians, he says. Foolish here doesn't mean dumb. He's not calling them dumb. He's not uh, uh, saying that they were somehow mentally or, or morally deficient in any way. What, what Paul's saying here when he, when he says foolish is it's a reference to a people who have all the information, who have all the understanding, and, and still uh, fail to use it. He's like, y'all know the right path. You have the information. You know the right thing to do, and for some reason you still choose not to do it. That's foolish. That's foolish. And he says, who has bewitched you? The idea here being that, that Galatians, the Galatians were somehow under a spell. Now, Paul didn't mean this literally, but in his mind, it was the only thing he could think to describe what was, what was happening. He's like, your thinking had become so clouded, they're so unbiblical, that there's no other way to explain what they're doing, why they would stray from the truth of Jesus for, for these other things, right? And so, so he says, who has, who has bewitched you? What kind of spell has been cast over you? Now, some biblical scholars translate that word bewitched as to put the evil eye on. Okay, the evil eye um, in ancient civilizations, especially the ancient Greeks, were accustomed to and very afraid of this thing called the evil eye. And the idea was that a spell could be cast upon them by looking at this thing. It was literally like a symbol of an eye that would be on a, on a necklace or some form of jewelry or maybe some pottery or, or a vase or, or something of the like. Okay, and the evil eye was thought to work in the way, the same way a serpent could hypnotize its prey. I don't know if you've ever seen in the cartoons or movies where the snake slithers up and look into his eyes and all of a sudden like the prey is hypnotized and can't move. That's the word picture Paul is using here. And he's saying, hey, do, do, have you been bewitched by something like the evil eye, right? And in and, and, and using that phrasing and, and that word picture of bewitched, Paul was encouraging the Galatians to keep their eyes trained steadfast on Jesus, He's saying, keep your focus on Jesus. Don't, don't, don't turn your gaze away from him or else you might get trans, transfixed. You might get, you might get hypnotized, put under some sort of spell and start to drift away from him. Now, I got to pause here for a little bit because I need to be honest with you all right now and, and let you know that for the better part of the last two weeks, 
God has not let me get past Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. There's 29 verses in Galatians, okay? Now, hear me. I've read them all. I keep going back to them. I got my, my you know, study materials out, and I'm like, God, give me something for, the, for, for your people, right? I'm trying to prepare for this message, and as I try to go past, he keeps bringing me back. No, verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You foolish Galatians, who has, who has bewitched you to the point where it felt like it was the Spirit speaking to me? Hey, Raph, you fool, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Now, normally I would never say, um, you know, that, that, that I've been bewitched. That doesn't even make sense to me, right? I'm not under some kind of curse. I don't feel that way. I would never certainly say that I've accepted uh, some kind of false gospel. That didn't mean a whole lot to me, right? Like, no, of course not. It's Jesus and only Jesus. What are you talking about, God? Why do you keep bringing me back to this thing? Right? But, but what I feel like he's teaching me in the context of Paul's question to the Galatians and the way that they would have understood it, the question's more like this. Who has convinced you or what has distracted you or lured you away and commanded your attention to the point where you have taken your focus, your eyes off of Jesus and put them on something or someone else? Foolish wrath. I put a blank up there. If you would be so bold as to put your own name there, I invite you to do that. But for me, it was foolish wrath. Who has bewitched you? Now, disclaimer, right? I got to tell you this up front. This is what God has been speaking to me, like for me. I know it's for me, and I'm still in the process of working it out. There's some, some stuff he wants. He's convicted me of, some stuff he's, he's trying to, um, you know, correct in my path. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I want to say that up front, right? So if it speaks to you, and it also happens to to convict you, or maybe it steps on your toes a little bit, don't get mad at me, blame God, okay? If it doesn't, that's okay too, that's good in fact, but I still want to challenge you to consider that question for yourself, okay? Who has bewitched you? What has caused you to take the focus off of Jesus in your life? I'll tell you from my life, um, recently, you know, these past couple months, just been in a season where um, I just, for example, last week my wife told me, it was probably Tuesday, and, and uh, just dropped off the baby, and I'm getting my coffee in my bag. I'm getting ready to head out to work, and she's like, where are you going? And I'm like, what do you mean? it's 9 o'clock on a Tuesday. What do you mean where I'm going to work? And she's like, oh, like she's got this sad look. She's like, I just thought we could spend some time together. She's like, I miss you. And I was like, I get it. Like, I, mi- I miss you too. We sleep in the same bed. We see each other every day. But what she's saying, I miss you, is like there's this lack of connection that we've had over the past month or two as a result of the way we've been living our lives. We're like ships passing in the night. My wife works real estate, and um, so oftentimes when she has to do her job, it's in the evenings and on weekends. That's when people can look at houses, right? And so we kind of like tag your it. I come home from work, I take the kids, she goes to work, and we kind of just switch back and forth like that. And it's been a really, really uh, busy season of life right now, okay? And, and on top of that, between our work schedules, the fact that we overloaded our calendar by saying yes to lots of things, um, like my kids' sports, which is great, but all three of them have practice on different nights of the week and game, three games over the weekend and, and um, between her meetings and my meetings and the kids' schedules and everywhere we've got to get them, like, it's just, it's overwhelming. There's so much to do, which leads to stress, right? I'm stressed out and, and, and now I'm not sleeping good. And so I wake up and I'm grumpy and I'm grumpy with my kids. And then I get mad at myself for being mad at my kids. And then I'm in this like vicious cycle of, 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 of life where all of a sudden it's like I got no peace. And again, in the context of Galatians chapter 1, right, God, through his spirit, just bringing up to my mind over and over again, who has bewitched you? 
who has bewitched you, right? And I'm trying to figure out what that means as I, as I wrestle with it. And here's what I came to, right? Again, while I would never say, oh, I've, I believe in a different gospel, there is something um, that I would say like an Americanized version of the gospel where, where comfort and safety and excess become kind of the goals. Like those are the things that we're, 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 we're searching for. And it, again, it's not really a conscious decision even. It's, it's more subtle than that. It's like I had my sights set on true north, and at some point we just went a couple degrees over, and day by day started to drift slowly but surely. I don't realize that first until I look up and realize how far I've, I've strayed, right? And, and, and again, these aren't bad things. There's nothing I said that's sinful, right? Like I'll tell you guys, this, is a, this isn't sinful, but it'd probably be the closest thing for me. Like I love food. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. If you've heard me speak before, you know, if I'm not talking about food, if I'm not eating, I'm thinking about food, right? Like, I love to, I want to eat well. I love to eat well, right? I, will, I, will, I also like to be comfortable. My family's grown. We got four kids now. A couple years ago, we decided we need more room. We need a bigger house, right? Makes sense. We got it. We, we, you know, it's not comfortable where we were. I want to provide a better life for my kids, right? I'm sure some of y'all can resonate that. What's that mean? I want, I want them to be able to have more than I have. I want them to have more experiences, more opportunities, more things than I had as a kid growing up, right? I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that, right? But what that means is now my wife and I, we've got to work more, right? We've got we've to make more. We've got to work more so we can make more, so that we can provide more, so that we can do more, which requires sacrifice one way or the other, right? Where I'm experiencing that sacrifice the most right now is in the relationships with the people that I love the most, who I'm doing all this for. And that's the, the cycle, right? And again, these are all good things. There's nothing bad in and of themselves, which makes it all the more easy to justify it. Mind you, the still, all the time, all the while, I'm still following Jesus, right? I am, I am going to church every Sunday. I'm in a leadership position. I'm serving. I'm worshiping. I am praying regularly. Sometimes I even read the Bible with my kids and we do a little devotional and I pat myself on the back because that's what I'm doing really good, right? I am checking all the Christian boxes between you and me. Sometimes, right, I'm not proud of this, but every now and then, okay, I, I, I look over at my neighbor just for a frame of reference. I'm not judging. I just look at them and I look at me just to see kind of where I'm at and I think more often than not, I'm doing better than them. Right? I think, I'm, I think I'm good. I must be good, right? I'm good. I'm good. And if I'm, care, if I'm not careful, it won't take long before I start to believe that lie from the enemy, that I am good. Right? That false gospel, that I am good in and of myself, and that, that, that comfort and safety and excess should be the goal. These should be the things that, I, that I'm striving for, the things that I set my, my sights on. In fact, they're good things, and Jesus is, God is a good God, right? And Jesus, wouldn't he want those things for me? Isn't that what life is all about? And the answer is no. No, this is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a false, Americanized version of the gospel, and it's a distortion of the truth where I recreate God in my own image because I don't really want to conform to his. But thank God for his grace. Thank God for his word and for his spirit that lives in me and that met me in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, and spoke to me through the inspired words of the apostle Paul. You foolish Galatians, Raph, you fool. Who has bewitched you? Now, 
again, I said I was going to be honest. I haven't figured it all out. I just know that Paul's talking about false gospels, and I'm like, false gospel, that doesn't apply to me. And God's like, no, it applies to you. And I'm trying to figure out what that looks like, and that's what he put his finger on in my life. And so we're having some hard conversations in, my, in, in our house, and we're praying and trying to make decisions of like, okay, or reevaluating decisions we've made and said, hey, was that me and you? Did we ever allow God into that before we said yes? Like, this is just the process we're starting. So I don't have an answer completely. We don't have it figured out, but I want you to know this is, this is where I'm at. That's what God's been, been speaking to me. Remember, Galatians chapter 1, Paul was given his testimony. And he talked about how he personally received the gospel from Jesus Christ. And then in Galatians chapter 2, he proclaims, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live in the faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I put my faith in Jesus and I'm no longer the same. The old is gone, the new has come. I have been transformed by the love of Jesus and the power of his finished work on the cross. And that transformation is a process. Salvation comes in an instant, the moment you put your trust in Jesus. And Paul says, we, we, we walk out our salvation by, by keeping in step with the Spirit. And so it's a process by which day by day, as long as I stay close to Jesus, as long as I stay connected to him, he conforms me, he changes me, he transforms me more and more into the image of his son. So now here's Paul. Verse 1 of chapter 3, he's reminding the Galatians of their own transformation. Again, if this was a courtroom drama, this is the part where the lawyer connects emotionally with the, with the jury. Right? He's there leaning in. Now he gets them to lean all the way and he starts tugging at their heartstrings. Paul says, before your very eyes, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He's like, what happened to y'all? What happened? Did someone put a spell on you? Because Paul knew firsthand that the truth of Jesus and the power of his finished work on the cross had been clearly communicated and laid out for them. And not only did they see it, but they had received it for themselves. Their lives had been transformed. Paul saw God moving in that church with his own eyes. And so now he tells them, hey, what happened? What happened? Verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? It's important to note here that, that receiving the Spirit is not a secondary act of grace. It occurs the moment one becomes a Christian. Okay, in other words, if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit in you. If you put your faith, your trust in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. So Paul's not questioning the salvation of these Galatian believers. He's trying to get them to remember how they got saved in the first place. Was it by works of the law or, or was it by believing what you heard? Now, to believe in the, in the context, whenever you see that in Scripture, in the context of faith, it's more accurately translated as trust, okay? Put your trust in. Uh, James, Jesus' brother, said, even the demons believe that there is one God, right? Believe doesn't do a whole lot for you in that instance if you don't put your trust in him. Paul's basically saying, y'all receive the greatest gift of all, the Holy Spirit of God. By putting your trust in Jesus. 
Are you really now going to go on from there trusting yourselves, trusting in your own ability to obey the laws of Moses? This lays out one of the fundamental differences between the principle of law and the principle of grace. Okay, the, the, the law says that we are blessed and that we grow spiritually by earning and deserving. Very similar to the, the culture and the world that we live in, right? You work hard and you get what you earn and you, when you receive, you deserved it, right? That's the law. Grace says that we are blessed and grow spiritually by believing and receiving. That when you put your trust in Jesus and you receive the gift of the, the Holy Spirit, Jesus in you then works that out. That's where blessing comes from. That's where spiritual growth comes from. The Galatians were deceived into thinking that their spiritual growth and maturity could be achieved through the works of the flesh instead of a continued abiding faith in Jesus. And Paul's response to that again is, are you so foolish? It really is foolishness when you, when you think about it. But remember, we have an enemy, right? We have an enemy named Satan, and he is a master of deception. Peter said he, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to, to devour, right? And, and if he can't stop us from being saved by faith, which he can't, Jesus accomplished that on the cross, right? If he can't do that, then he's going to do the next best thing, which is knock the lives of, of Christians off track. To, to, to take Jesus' followers and set them off the path that, that God has laid out for them. So they, they can't experience the blessing. So they can't grow and mature and become who God is calling them to be. And the way he does that is by convincing us to take the focus off of Jesus and put it back on ourselves. So that we never get to experience the blessing and the growth and the spiritual maturity that can only come by faith. Don't do it. Paul says, don't let him do it. Jesus said, I, John 10, 10, I came, the enemy comes to, to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Paul's like, don't let, don't let the enemy steal that full life that Jesus promised. Verse 4, have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what? You heard. Apparently, these Galatians had been through some stuff, okay? Like they've, they've experienced some things as a direct result of putting their trust in Jesus, of their decision to follow Jesus. Now, we don't know what exactly he's referring to, but some translations, instead of uh, experienced so much, they actually say suffered so much. And so we know well, there was some suffering. There was some, some hard stuff that they experienced directly as a result of following Jesus. But Paul goes on to say that, that God had also worked miracles among them. So they experienced some hard stuff. They also experienced some miracles of God, right? Now, we don't know exactly because Paul doesn't tell us what he's referring to, but we can make some educated guesses. We do know that Paul himself was persecuted in the region of Galatia, okay? So maybe he's speaking specifically to that, and some of that spilled over onto the church. Maybe they experienced physical, emotional, relational suffering, okay? But again, they also experienced the miracle of salvation, they, they, they uh, ha had seen healing and restoration happen in that church. Spiritual gifts came upon them, right? So remember, Paul planted that church. He's got relationships with the people there. He saw God move with his own eyes among the people there. And now he's prompting, prompting them to recall that story, to remember their own personal testimony. And he asked them, was that all in vain? 
Was that all in vain? Was that, for, was that all for nothing? Take a moment. Remember your own story in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, the things that you've experienced as a direct result of putting your faith in Jesus Christ. I'll give you just a snapshot of mine. I remember, I think I've shared this before, but um, I remember right after I got baptized, like I came out of that water and I was like, man, I'm untouchable. Life is going to be great from here on out because I follow Jesus, right? And no one, it's not like anyone told me that, but I just instinctively was like, man, all my problems are going to go away and life's going to be, it's just going to be good, right? And, and, and truth be told, that's not exactly what I experienced. I had uh, just given my life to Jesus. I just uh, moved to Kentucky from Boston, okay, Massachusetts, uh, with uh, my wife. We're newlyweds. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to start a family, start this whole new life. I'm following Jesus. Again, I think I'm untouchable. Problem is, I left everyone I know, all my family, all my friends, and a really good job, and came to Lexington, Kentucky, where I didn't know anybody, and the culture shock, and a whole different world, and I couldn't get a job. I had three jobs, which meant I didn't really have one good one, right? So, so I was working uh, construction um, just a couple days a week. Uh, a great Christian guy who put me on, but he didn't have a ton of work. He was just like, hey, you know, uh, I'll give you a couple days a week. And so I got another job at a winery, a local winery there that was, um, I was the assistant winemaker, which means I did everything from picking grapes to putting the labels on the bottle and everything in between. Okay, it was a fun job. I learned a ton. You know, I didn't make a ton of money, but that's fine. It was an experience. At the same time, I was working nights, um, uh, uh, you know, nights and weekends at a local minor league baseball park just doing concessions there, right? And I'm just like trying to make enough to make ends meet, planning a family, you know, trying to figure things out. And I'm like, God, why is this so hard? And I'm like just meanwhile, relationally, again, I left all the friends and family, everyone I knew. All they knew was he met a girl and he found Jesus and now he lives in Kentucky. It was like, it happened like that. You imagine what they were saying, okay? And it was getting back to me. I was like, oh, what is happening? And like, you know, I'd go home to visit family members of mine who like, who, who loved me. And I didn't, it wasn't like antagonistic, like, oh, you're with Jesus now, we don't like you. It was like, I don't know how to be around you anymore, right? They just kind of like avoided me. And I'm like, have I changed that much? And like, it was just relational, like hard stuff. My best friend uh, in the world since we were uh, elementary school, he was getting married, and he asked me to be his best man. Of course, I'm like, yes, you know, so excited, this and that. And, uh, and then he's like, all right, cool. Time to plan the bachelor party. He had already planned it in his head years and years ago. We're going to Vegas for my bachelor party. It's going to be just like the movies, like all this stuff. I'm like, um, yeah, <laughs> about that. I'm following Jesus now. Like, imagine that phone call, right? It was, it was just, it was hard. But, like, I had to say, not only can I not plan it, I can't. I can't go. Now hear me, right? Some of you have been to Vegas. I've been to Vegas. I'm not saying Vegas is sinful. Don't go to Vegas. It's, you're a sinner. Like, that's not, hear me. But I know what, what they were planning. I know what I would have been planning pre-Jesus. And I was like, I can't be a part of that. You know what I mean? And so it's just real. And I was, it put us at odds. Now, he's still my, my best friend. He, he was disappointed, but he understood. Um, and we're still, you know, we're still tight. The other guys, it's a different story. Many of them, it's like, eh, yeah, we can do that. Like, it's just never been the same, right? My dad, um, who, you know, could not, in his way, could not have been more supportive and loving, was like, yes, I'm happy for you. Um, I'm, I'm glad you found what you want. Like, you was doing a lot of work, right? I'm glad you got what you need. Uh, great for you. Keep it over there. Don't let that mess spell over on me, 
right? That's basically the message I was getting because he had his own hang-ups with religion and how he grew up. I get it, Dad, right? A couple years later, I'm preaching the, the Sunday service. I was a youth pastor at the time, but I was preaching the main service on Sunday morning at, at the church we were at in Kentucky, Mother's Day weekend. My dad and stepmom are coming down to visit. Kind of, you know, a little bit nervous. I'm preparing the message. My wife comes in the room as I'm working, and she's like, hey, are you going to have, like, an altar call, like a decision time at the end of the message? I'm like, why? What, what do you mean? She's like, I just think you should give the opportunity for people to um, accept Jesus for the first time. You know, your dad's coming. I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, that's a lot of pressure. Are you serious? And she's like, I'm just saying, you know, I just had a feeling. I think you should do it. I'm like, great. You know, your wife comes tell you, like, oh, I got a feeling, right? The Spirit's talking to her, like, I can't ignore that. So I'm like, all right, I guess I'm doing it. <laughs> so sure enough, that Sunday, Mother's Day, I, I, I preach the message at the end. I'm like, everyone, close your eyes, bow your heads. I give the opportunity for some people to accept Jesus for the very first time. 250 people in a room just like this. There's one hand in the middle of the room, tears streaming down his face as high as could be. It's my dad. Gives his life to Jesus. And going back to Boston and getting baptized, thank you. Yeah, it was, it, and I'm telling y'all, like, that's not a coincidence. That's a miracle of God. That's part of my story. About a year later, close to Mother's Day again, I get a call from my mom who's sitting here on the front row. She and my stepdad had started attending a local church uh, just outside of D.C. where they lived at the time and said, hey, um, we're going to this church. We're getting plugged in. You know, her faith was catching on. She's like, they're having a baptism Sunday at my church, and I'm going to get baptized, and I want to know if you'll drive up to D.C. and baptize me. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, yes, amen and hallelujah. Following weekend, I drove up to D.C., got to baptize my mom into the family of God. It was amazing. Again, another miracle of God. And again, I'm just, these are, this is, this is a snapshot of my story in Jesus Christ. It's been hard stuff, but God was with me every step of the way, and he used it to make me who I am. And there's been some amazing miracles that are undeniable and would not happen outside of God, right, outside of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so the point I'm making, the point I think Paul is making is, did that all happen in vain? Remember your story. Remember your story. Think about that. Think about what God has already done. He's reminding the church in Galatia, whenever you start to feel your focus drifting from Jesus, if you, if you ever find yourself trying to add anything to the gospel or take anything away from it or, or settle for, for something less, anything less than the truth of the gospel, which is Jesus and only Jesus, then it's incumbent upon you to remember. Remember your story. Remember, go back and remember who you were before Jesus met you and, and what your life has been like since. Verse 5. So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Paul's reminding the Galatians that the gift of the spirit was given to them because of their faith, okay, and not because of their ability to follow the law. That the gospel, the incredible news of our rescue and adoption by God through Jesus is received by grace through faith. Faith alone. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Now, if you've been following along or happen to check your watch at any point, you realize I'm like 
30-something minutes in, and we're only on verse 5. There's 29 verses in Galatians 3, so I hope you packed a sandwich. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're not going to finish it, okay? And that's okay. We're doing a week, a chapter a week, but, but um, really we're encouraging you as a church to, to, um, to follow along with us and, and kind of dig into Galatians on your own at home. We want you to, to, to read the Bible and study and, and invite God to speak to you through it. And there's so much good stuff in Galatians 3 that I'm not going to be able to get to today, but I hope you get to it on your own. We have those of you who are in small groups, you're going to have an opportunity to dig in there. But if, if, if small groups didn't work for you this time around, you just getting, didn't get a chance to sign up, uh, we want to give you some resources to help you uh, in your personal study of the Bible. So there's a couple uh, resources. We have like the free Bible commentary and the, um, all right, we'll do Right Now Media first. So Right Now Media is, um, we'll go back to that. Right Now Media is basically like a Christian version of Netflix that has tons of great um, Bible studies and small group materials, and it even has like TV sh- like shows and stuff for kids from a Christian perspective. It's an amazing resource, and uh, as a church, we have a subscription there, which means for you all, you have free access to that. And so if you don't have an account with right now already, if you haven't done that, you can go to our website, relentlesschurch.cc, on the Connect tab, okay? There's, um, there's a, a drop-down called Resources, and right there, you'll see the link for Right Now Media, and it'll take you to how you can set up your account for free um, with, through Relentless Church. So I encourage you to do that. There's a study we're doing on Galatians from Kyle Eidelman, uh, which is a great study. So you can follow along with us on that. There's also, if you just want to read the Bible on your own, we've got uh, Blue Letter Bible. is a free, great website that gives you context and history and all this stuff on, 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 on kind of what's going on on the Bible, and then freebiblecommentary.org as well. So just wanted to give you some tools so you can dig in on your own because we're not going to talk about all of it. I am going to try and summarize verses um, 6 through 22 just as we, as we kind of wrap up and close here today. Basically, again, courtroom drama, right? Paul's making his case. He's talking to these Jewish leaders who are distorting the gospel and, 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 and questioning his leadership, and their whole deal is the law, right? Their whole deal is like the laws of Moses, the laws of Moses. They keep bringing it up. So Paul's like, okay, y'all like the law. Okay. No one knows the law better than I do. Let's go. Let's talk about the law, which is the, the Old Testament. He's like, let's go. And, and Paul says, we're going to go beyond Moses. We're going all the way back to Abraham. Because before God gave the law to Moses, okay, he gave a, he gave a promise to Abraham. And if you're not familiar with that story, basically, God told Abraham that he was, his descendants would be more than the stars in the sky and the sand at the beach. Meanwhile, Abraham was like over 100 years old and had zero kids, right? And so he was like, what are you talking about, God? But he put his trust. He, he, he trusted God that he would make good on his promise. And scripture tells us that that, that, that trust, that faith was counted as righteousness. It made him right with God because he trusted God right? Paul says um, that the law does not supersede the promise because the promise was given to Abraham long before the law was ever given to Moses. And God's promise to Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So Galatians chapter 3 verses 13 and 14, Paul says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. So that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. 
the promise of the gospel was given to Abraham, carried by the Holy Spirit, so that all who put their trust in Jesus would receive it as well. Again, by grace and through faith. And Paul goes on to say that the only reason the law was given was to show people their sins and point them to the Savior who was promised. Verse 21. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. So again, the gospel delivered by the Holy Spirit, received by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, not only does that free us from the shackles of sin, but it also breaks the chains of religion. That's important, again, because Paul's talking to Jews and Gentiles and he's writing to address this huge problem where Jewish leaders are making it difficult for new Gentile believers to follow Jesus. And what that looked like was literally, they showed up to the synagogue, they came to church and were like, yes, we love Jesus, we want to follow him, we want to put our trust in him. And they were like, great, you got to do X, Y, and Z and jump through all these hoops. And by the way, we scheduled your surgery for circumcision for tomorrow. And they were like, see you later. So people were literally walking away from Jesus, not because of the gospel, but because of man-made religion. And that's why Paul is so adamant that the truth of the gospel must not be compromised. Because he knew that lives were on the line. Paul understood that for so many people, eternity hangs in the balance. And that's where his passion came from. That's why he's so fired up. Because he knows and he wants everyone else to know Jesus didn't come to make bad people good or to help good people become better. He came to bring the dead to life. By the power of the gospel, he stood in the gap for us. The gospel in and of itself is, is offensive enough. I'm hopeless, helpless, headed to hell on my own, of my own devices. If not for Jesus, I have no standing with God. But because of Jesus, God calls me his son. That's the gospel. Can't add anything to that. So, I'm going to close with this. For those of you who, who've made the decision to follow Jesus. You call yourself Christians in the room. I just got a question. I want to ask it in the most loving way possible as a brother to his brothers and sisters, but also with the same urgency that the, that the Spirit used to convict me this week through the, through the words of the Apostle Paul. Who has bewitched you? Who has, who has bewitched you? Who or what has convinced you or distracted you, or commanded your attention to the point that you have taken your eyes off of Jesus and fixed them onto something or someone else. I love the, I love the prayer King David prayed in, in Psalm 139. It's in verse 23 and 24. He said, search me, God. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you be so bold as to pray that prayer today? To ask God to identify anything 
in your life that is offensive to the gospel. And then just confess it to him and repent, which means just to simply turn your back on that thing and put your focus right back on Jesus. Would you, would you pray that prayer in faith? Listen, God's not mad at you. That's one of the things that, like, as I was wrestling with this text, and he's like, he put his finger on my heart. I was like, I ain't mad at you. I just want you to know I got more for you. Who's bewitched you? You're, look, you're saved. I'm not questioning that. I'm questioning what's your life look like now as a result. Don't settle for, for, for less. The gift of the Spirit was to guide you so that you can keep in step and experience the true blessing and the life that God has carved out for you, that you can be a part of bringing a little slice of heaven back down to earth just by the way that you follow Jesus while you're here. But just about getting to heaven, we just go there, right? The moment that, that we believe. But he has more for us. Will we step into it? I think this is the first step. Would y'all pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It truly is a, a, a light to our feet, a lamp on our path. God, thank you that you speak, that your spirit moves through your word. Father, I pray the words of King David right now. Search us. Search us, God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. Lord, see if there is any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. God, put your finger on anything that is offensive to the gospel in my life. God, and lead me back to you. God, help me to step into the man you're calling me to be. God, help us to be the church you're calling us to be, God. By your spirit, let it rest on us. Let it fall heavy on this church, God, that we would keep in step with it and follow it every step of the way so that we can become more and more like you each day. God, we love you. We praise you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Come back next week, Galatians chapter 4. We hope to see you then.